As alumni of the Royal Academy of Music and Brit School, our guest today has music in his lineage. His grandfather played piano by ear and jammed with the 1945 Mento band, the Jolly Boys, in Jamaica. Chris of Christine and the Queens has called him a beats futurist and the ultimate piano player. On announcement of his debut full-length album, our guest said, Like everyone, I'm hunting for something. Beautiful Vinyl Hunter takes you to some crazy places to meet some beautiful and crazy people. All you need to do is listen. Ashley Henry, welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Nice one. It's a pleasure. So tell me about the crazy places and the crazy people and the beautiful people that you've met en route to this album. Oh, man, where do I start? <laughs> start at the beginning. A, such a crazy, crazy journey. Um, man, the people I've met. So for Beautiful Vinyl Hunter, as well as it kind of sounding organic and going for that kind of thing, I wanted it to feel organic as well. So every guest that I have on the record are people that I've been lucky enough to have travelled with and spent time with and toured with and played music with together. So we already naturally have like that musical chemistry and that common ground as people. So yeah, and they they were the best people that I felt could bring across that message that I'm trying to put across. So wicked. We'll talk about who's on the album a little bit mm. later. Um, but firstly, I want to know about the title, "Beautiful Vinyl Hunter." What's that about? Mm. Yeah, I came up with the name Beautiful Vinyl Hunter because, like, for me, with all the music I kind of grew up listening to and then to a point, like, I think it was when I was just starting secondary school, like, vinyl kind of became, like, a dead sort of format, almost. Mm -hmm. And now to the point where I'm kind of fortunate enough to be making my own music, vinyl's kind of become popular again. So it's like... Is that exciting for you to create something which is going to come out on an LP? That yeah, you can hold yeah, like and that? like never did I think that I'd be making music and being able to have it on the vinyl. I mean, I just had the Fives record repressed not so long ago, and so that was so your one on Jazz Refresh. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like someone told me that like the Fives EP was going on Discogs for like 150 quid. <gasps> wow. Yeah, so like. Everyone, That's major. Kind of, everyone kind of pressured like Justin and Adam to kind of like repress it. So it's like, that's mad. I never, I never would have thought that, yeah, I'd be able to contribute to a certain particular way of like connecting with people through music. Cause mm. like vinyls is such a, it's more than just the music. It's like you have the art physically in your hands and you feel more connected to the artist and to the music so right it's a it's a tangible thing that we can feel and and enjoy the the material and the the there's, there's nothing that beats actually like holding it and the ceremony of taking it out of its sleeve and putting it onto the player and hitting play exactly you don't you reading don't get... all the notes as well yes. find out who's playing on what and exactly yeah, yeah i've had some beautiful nights in where i like coming after a gig where I've picked up the records and then put it on and then just sit down like read the liner notes and like admire the artwork yeah, exactly. and stuff and like it's part of the wider experience and you just don't get yeah. that from hitting play on your phone no always. exactly yeah so it's a beautiful thing um mm. I wanted to ask you if you if it feels like a 
graduation of sorts with having done fives on Jazz Refreshed and then mm. you had your Easter EP, yeah. um, both which are amazing releases. And as you mentioned here, oh, the first you. one going out for like 150, like they're really <laughs> um, valued and celebrated um, records. But now you're with a major label. Does, uh, does that feel like a kind of graduation? Does it feel natural? Does it feel surprising? Um, to be honest, which is nothing at all. Yeah, <laughs> just is what it yeah, is. Yeah, to be honest, like it kind of even the whole like con- like record contract thing, like that kind of just all happened organically. Everyone, everything kind of just fell into place the right way, and didn't feel nothing so far has felt forced or cool anything like that. So yeah, that's wicked. I've, yeah, it's been it's been cool. Like, I've been able to kind of just focus on yeah making making the art and making the music and. Great. And where did that kind of relationship start? Did someone from the label like come to see you play live? Like, did you know they were there, or, or was it something more? I kind literally of had planned? no idea. I was, um, I think I did a gig at Camden Assembly. Mm-hmm. That um, this was kind of after the whole Jazz FM Awards uh, nominees got announced. So I was like up for two awards. So it was kind of a little bit of stuff happening, and uh, so I got off this last minute gig at Camden Assembly. And then that got sold out really quickly. And then, yeah, some representatives from Sony happened to be there in the crowd just watching. And then they reached out to my manager. And then, yeah, things, conversations started happening and things kind of, you know, kind of just happened organically. Yeah, and just at the time, actually, that's when I just finished um, mixing and mastering the Easter EP. So it was kind of just out there and people could listen to it if they wanted to. So Nice. Yeah, it was quite, it was a nice touch. Wicked. So. so let's go back a little bit further. I know that you um, sort of like you studied in Leeds, right? Yeah, I studied you did in Leeds for a few years. Sprit yeah. school and then Leeds. Um, <laughs> so going back before that as well, what was your um, experiences of music in the family home? Like, what kind of things were you hearing every day, and what were you curious about? Because oh. we sort of said right at the start that that music is quite you know in your genetic makeup. Yeah. In a way, yeah, like, yeah. tell us a little bit more about your musical experiences from early on. Like from early age, like my my first musical experiences was like say even family like house parties like my parents right in our old house we used to live in uh, Gypsy Hill so it was like quite it's in this council state so it's like this big community of people and our neighbours owned a sound system so like <laughs> they always used to throw like these mad parties so that's that, awesome that you're brought up with that yeah, was, in your life from early on that's nuts. wicked yeah so um, so whenever like the older people like the parents or whatnot would come down they'd be downstairs and then the younger kids would be like upstairs so like downstairs would be like the you know the dub the reggae the soul the funk and all that sort of stuff and then upstairs would be like we'd be listening to you know garage or uh grime or all that sort of thing so yeah it was a or hip-hop and like all these like all the like cutting edge new stuff that's coming out or i mean it's all it's all timeless music, so just being able to experience both, both of that. So like having the history of the music and where that's come from, and you know all the genres of the music that's kind of like stemmed off the back of like sound system culture. And, mm. and I've been lucky enough to being able to go back to Jamaica frequently as well, visiting family. So that for me um, has played a big part of my appreciation for music because I actually going back there to the places that 
a tourist can't go to because it's you know <laughs> it can get kind of peak out there but <laughs> <laughs> it's like a need to know sort of basis in terms of yeah design. yeah like be able to go to like you know like street parties or whatever mm. where people just be playing music and like just the freedom of expression the deep appreciation for music and actually feeling and experiencing where this all actually comes from right it's like a lot of people tend to forget like the strong influence of the music of the islands. I mean, I was in an Uber here and like even the, the radio was playing like a Justin Bieber song and that had like Caribbean influence in it. So it, it's just spread so wide and mm. the influence is very strong and yeah, just the music and the appreciation for it is very strong as well. Right, you're yeah. absolutely right. It's so, the, the influences are incredibly widespread and I think when we stop to think about it, we can hear it in almost all elements of popular culture. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, which is fascinating. Tell me a little bit about the kind of music that you were buying when you were growing up. Like, do you remember the first like CD or tape or record that you bought? <laughs> so the first vinyl that I actually owned, like, actually owned myself. I saw my seventh birthday. It was uh, the So Solid Crew album. They don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that's pretty much like. Oh my god! So you were seven, and and that was on record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. That was on vinyl. You yeah. started collecting early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like my parents would just like buy me records that I was really into. Wicked. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Where did they go after that? Was that did that kind of create like a, a clear path for your collecting, or are you completely yeah, and then different? Yeah, that kind of then that kind of slowly moved to CDs, and then. Mm-hmm. Then the first ever iPod came out, so me being a music nerd, I kind of like saved up to get that instead of like, I don't know, being like, oh yeah, I want a PS2 or whatever. Yeah, I was the like, trainers. Oh, no, no, I want an iPod. Yes. <laughs> so work. I put all my CDs onto there, and that's where it kind of started. And when the iPod came out, that's when like the Dizzies and the Kanos sort of started to come through. And cool. Yeah, man. If you're enjoying this episode, you may also want to check out supremestandards.com where you'll find interviews, album of the week selections and more. It's also the place you'll find out first about our upcoming events. So follow us on social media too. Check out the site now, supremestandards.com. Um, there's a game that I want to play with you that I play with everyone on this podcast. Okay. Uh, and it's called Life Swap. Uh, so you get to keep your lifestyle as Ashley Henry exactly as is but you get to pick three alternative lifestyles to dip in and out of as you please for as long or as short a time as you like. So for example, uh, I change these all the time. Um, my first one, I'm gonna borrow what Theo Croker said when I played this with him recently, right. uh, which was uh, to be a dolphin. Cause I feel like dolphin is my spirit animal. It's quite playful. It's mm. quite, uh, I'm, I'm gonna say a dolphin feels quite bookish if it was a human. I'm gonna go um, yeah, I mean, with that description. Exactly, they, they have like solo. sonar. Yeah, yeah exactly. Crazy. So I'd be a dolphin. Of course Theo wants to be a dolphin. Right? I know, I was like, yeah, that, that fits that just feels right um i think i'd be a travel writer because my best friend's a travel writer and she's living her best life and i want a little taste of that and i'd be dorothea tanning who's an amazing surrealist artist and she used to put her uh, dog in all of her paintings where she believed that her dog knew all the big questions about the universe um and she just seemed like a fascinating woman so i would dip in and out of those lives for 15 minutes at a time, a year at a time, mm. whatever, and just dip out. I mean, if I'm a dolphin and there's a shark coming after me, I'll probably dip out and come back to my present life as it is. Yeah. That kind of vibe. So what would your three be if you can choose three to swap in and out of? Oh, man, I'd probably be... 
Hmm, that's a very good question. I'm going to slurp my tea while you think about it. <laughs> so it can be anyone I want, so like a person or Anyone, not. any animal, any period and time. I went to, um, I went to Frank Bowling's exhibition last week and like just seeing his, the way he reinvents himself like through art and to be able to reflect his environment and his life through painting. Like, I don't know, that's just so fascinating to me and just like his deep understanding of how colours work and how that kind of speaks to our subconscious even to kind of make us go, whoa, what's going on? I, I don't know I, this person. Yeah, it's just, uh, he's a Guyanese artist. He's, right. um Yeah, he's got an exhibition on at the Tate Britain on at the moment. And Wicked. Yeah, so basically I went out with uh, Jason Moran. He did a solo concert at Wigmore Hall on Friday. And yeah, we went to like a few art exhibitions like before his gig and stuff and... Yeah, we got to like see so many amazing like exhibitions and stuff. Uh, oh, what's the name? Fiesta. I think it's Fiesta Basta. Mm -hmm. So I went to his exhibition as well, and that was crazy. It had like you had like a B three Hammond organ with three daggers in it, and a no. Leslie like in the ceilings. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah, it was amazing. Wow! Really, so this really cool. organ with the daggers. <laughs> what what did you th what did you think of it at the time? What do you think it was trying to represent? Like, what did you take from it? I think just like how how we perceive sound and like because obviously every time you have an organ it's positioned in a certain type of way and the sound comes to us in a certain type of way mm. so with the leslie being in the ceiling it's kind of like oh it kind of changes the perception of how we get the sound because mm -hmm. especially in the room it was in as well and it kind of it made you like hear the organ a completely different way it was actually really interesting so was there music to accompany with it no, it literally had the three daggers on like three keys, so it was playing like a, a G chord or whatever. Ah. But wow. Yeah, it just sounded completely different. I wonder if it could like represent like the pain that an artist has in order to perform mm. as well, like with the daggers on the keys. Mm. Wow, okay, that's a really interesting yeah. choice. Um, I'll have to go and check that out. Uh, mm. What about your second life swap? Second life swap? Hmm. This is a real thinker question. I know, it is a proper thinker question. <laughs> um, maybe... Maybe like a an eagle or a cassowary, because like you, you'll just see the world in a completely different way. Mm. Like cassowary, like basically these massive birds that I saw in Australia, they're extinct. So like, if you do see one, it's like, well, like you, you'll never get to see it in your life. And they're Whoa. like such fascinating animals. So they, I'm imagining a bird with like quite a big wingspan, and or or is it kind of? I've never heard of a cassowary. Yeah, yeah, they I've like, never heard of them. <laughs> they're massive and they like run really fast. And if they see you like near their eggs or whatever, they'll like they'll, get fierce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like pretty aggressive, but like really fascinating and. Yeah, just being able to see the world in a completely different way, the way we do. Mm. So, and it would make so many things feel insignificant as well if yeah, you can exactly. see it from above and just like the scale of, exactly. of things compared to your worries or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, cool. Okay, that's a great shout. And when did you come across them as well? It sounds like you must have seen them so up, up and close. I was in um, I was in Australia for Christina Queen's tour. Cool. So, and then I spent three weeks extra afterwards with my girlfriend who's Australian Wicked. so yeah we got to stay in this cabin in this rainforest like far away from like Brisbane and it was beautiful just being around nature and all that sort of thing and then we went to 
her parents' place in Cannes. Ah, right. Yeah, it's just like far, <laughs> far away. So like, there's just so much nature out there, like loads of kangaroos and yeah, wow, and a very I, different environment to yeah, what going we have off, in London. Yeah, and going off the back of like your travels and being away from your phone. That's yeah. literally what I did. Like no phone, just. Ah, beautiful. Just nature, beautiful surroundings and great company. Rebooting, that sounds great. Um, Before we go on to your third life swap, um, let's talk about being on tour with Christine and the Queens because that sounds like it must have been so much fun. And the the people that you tour with, like Christine (laughs) or Chris, as she's now uh, known, and Loyal Kana, like it feels like, is there quite a clear um, uh, desire for you to tour and work with people who are outside of the quote-unquote jazz scene like to reach a broader sort of like you know broader audience or yeah for me it was um it's always good to not hold myself back musically and be afraid to go into different musical experiences and Mm -hmm. you know because you learn so much from that I learned so much from that just uh completely changed my approach to music, how I listen out for certain things and obviously like playing keys with Christine instead of like the role I'm usually playing in I was more like in a role of like being a producer Mm -hmm. so my kind of thing was like when I was playing it's like listening out for the whole picture as opposed to as a jazz musician you have all this free reign to throw all this creativity out there and not, you know, just throw it out whenever. But doing Christine's thing was having control over that creativity mm. and... A bit more of an architect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being a producer and kind of like putting things together in the right way, getting the sounds right. And huh. yeah, it was, yeah, it's, it's like being in a studio, but you're on stage. Oh, okay. So I was going to ask you, is this a process that you went through before you mm. went on stage? But this was something yeah. that you would do... Life. Like, can you tell me a bit more about that just so I can like imagine what that process was? Is this, were you kind of responding to what Chris was doing? Was it kind of very, was it a little bit improvised or was it like, were you working with different like um, instrument pads and things or different effects? Yeah, like, my setup was like five keyboards. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. So I'm getting a better picture of <laughs> yeah, 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 how yeah. that's so working. You can see my, my hands everywhere behind my head and playing. Oh, sick. <laughs> no, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining it though, like the organ that you mentioned. I yeah. can imagine like one above yeah, your head, exactly. one down here, and like your third arm doing something else. Um, okay, cool. So that sounds like it was really um, allowed you to be really responsive. Yeah, it was awesome. Just um, being able to, you get more of a broader sense of clarity and understand sonics to a deeper level. Hmm. It's really, really cool because like everything's so clear. So you have to make sure that everything's as clear as possible. Wow. And yeah, just being consistent, being able to switch it on and off. And I really respect Christina's an artist and yeah so as a human as well she's I really respect her drive and her passion and what she stands for as well wicked that's awesome yeah, yeah she seems like a really um powerful person to be yes, around so yes. how do you think that time kind of um adapted your approach to this record I mean had you recorded the album by yeah, the time yeah, you'd re- gone out yeah or? I recorded the album beforehand but okay um but it's kind of interesting because after I recorded that album I was kind of, during the process of recording the album, I was already on that kind of journey of getting deeper into like production because obviously I self-produced the album. So I kind of went deeper and deeper into the production side of things and how I wanted everything to sound. And I wasn't afraid to like spend as much time as I needed to just get the sound right. Mm. 
Mm. So, you know, as soon as I was on that journey, I get called from Christine's manager, like, oh yeah, we want to, you know, hang out with you in Paris. Not, not an audition, but he kind of just wanted to hang out and kind of- See if the chemistry was there musically. Yeah, and obviously they wanted me to play as well. So, and, so yeah, it kind of just seemed right. Wicked, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so let me take you back around then to your third life swap. So we've got a bird, we've got an artist. What do you think your third would be? Third life swap, third life swap. These are both quite conceptual choices, by the way, actually, which I'm yeah. quite enjoying. Mm. Allow you different ways of seeing and thinking. Could it be, does it have to be someone alive? No, not at all. I made this game up. We can change the rules as we go. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Man, probably, probably Miles Davis. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Classic shout. Just yeah, uh, Sampa the Great also said Miles Davis as well. Oh actually. man, big respect. So to there Sampa you the go. Great. Yeah, <laughs> shout to Sampa. Yeah. Um, so why did you pick Miles then? Just because um, he's probably had one of the most interesting lives I've ever heard of and read about, and just to be able to just live that mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> would just be insane. Like from the time he was playing with like Charlie Parker to John Coltrane to. Bill Evans, Winston Kelly, like all basically like all the heroes that we still glorify and listen to. And at the same time, you know, his evolution as an artist and just being able to be inside his mind at the time. Mm. That'd be it'd just be so interesting. It really would be. Yeah. Have you read his um autobiography yeah. by Quincy True? Yeah. Fantastic book. Yeah, insane. Yeah. The stories are just <laughs> they're, they're phenomenal yeah. they're absolutely awesome I had um, I had the chance to like have a whiskey with Quincy in his uh, apartment in Harlem oh, around nice. the time that the film came out Miles wow. Ahead yeah, yeah. Um, I was interviewing him for a, a doc that I was doing about the film and uh, and he ended up we just like sat for hours like talking about politics I felt so out of my depth so I'm a bit older and wiser now than what I was then mm. and um, and he would tell me these stories about what him and Miles would get up to and how this um, I can't remember who it was I kicked myself asking myself this question but there's this Hollywood actor that lives above Quincy in this apartment and uh, they kept getting people like coming into the apartment block in like the 70s and 80s when it was um, mm. they, they were having some troubles around there and, and Miles would hang out there too and that's just how they used to just hang people over the side of the building and threaten them not to come up again. I'm probably saying some naughty things, but like, <laughs> it's like full on like the stories they told me. I was like, oh, it's like it sounds like Miles just got himself into some really, um, yeah, ad ad like adventurous situations to yeah, say the least yeah, on their he, everyday normalities. Yeah, he was very free. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the things they got wanted. up to. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so great selections, all three of those. Mm. They're wicked. Um, let's talk about um, Beautiful Vinyl Hunter then. In a bit more detail. So, yeah. the the album is absolutely sick. Um, oh, I've loved much. listening to it, and oh, um, I think you have a really distinctive style and like really found your own um, your own sound, which is great. Oh, um, so the collaborators on there are um, many and yes. <laughs> and huge. We're talking like Theo Croker, yeah, Makai yeah, McRaven, yeah. Keon Harold. Yeah. Um, it's mind blowing for a debut record to have so I, many high profile people involved. I know, but the thing is, it wasn't a thing of, oh, you're you're a name. Do you want to play on my record? It was <laughs> like I was spending so much time with these people. I was touring with Theo and Keon at the time, so yeah, like being like recording with them like just didn't seem like a 
a big thing. It was just like, oh yeah, let's let's document this because we've shared so many great moments on stage and off stage. So having the opportunity to document that and will yeah, it's just a blessing. Natural thing. Yeah. Cool. Um, there's a really cool uh, Cranes in the Sky cover of a <laughs> yeah. Solange track, um, which is gorgeous. And there must have been, um, I don't know, was there like a bit of uh, intimidation going into that track? Because it's so cherished and protected by it the is. people that love that song. I actually saw it at Primavera on the weekend just gone. And it was like, <gasps> and I've seen a lot like? of like amazing shows. I've went to, I've been at Coachella, I've been to here and there but like Solange's set was insanely wow. good. Wow, what what made it so special? The visuals, the lighting, the dancing, the singing, the musicians, the sound, the front of house sound, the attention to detail mm. was just on point and it was like her third show after incorporating the new album into her set and it's just like when she does that at Lovebox that's gonna be sick. Yeah, yeah. Really set the stage on fire. Yeah. Wow, cool. So what was it like then going into to doing your own interpretation of that track? Did you feel a bit intimidated or were you just like liberated to just be creative? And Yeah, like a bit of both to be honest because for me um, it's a big thing for me to kind of celebrate some of the greatest writers of my time and for me Cranes in the Sky is like writing wise it's like it's a genius tune mm. so at the same time it's like okay you can cover this if you want but at the same time it's like you know you, you don't want to obviously destroy such a classic track so yeah just wanted to just do do my thing kind of like how you know back in the 60s or the 50s you know jazz musicians would do covers of popular tracks during their time right so for me, I just wanted to, you know, reflect some of the great music that's coming out during my time. Obviously, George Gershwin is, is, isn't, obviously he's an amazing writer, but that's not, not our my time. time. Yeah. yeah, not what I grew up listening to, you know, I grew up listening to this kind of stuff and being able to kind of put my own spin on it well, just felt natural to me. Wicked, that's really cool. And um, I'd love to, to ask you about some of the stories behind particular tracks on the record. Um, maybe we could start off with the track that um, was the most difficult to write or the most difficult to finish. What what felt like the biggest achievement to get from start to finish? Um, that's a good question because all the tracks were like kind of done in one take. Huh. So I guess recording wise done in one take. Were they were they all sort of pre-composed or were some of them a little bit improvised at the time? Um it was mostly pre-composed apart from Colours with Joshua Ederhan and Between the Lines. So with Between the Lines we recorded like an hour worth of like different beats. Hmm. Like we just we were just in the studio and just recorded loads of different beats and then I was like, Okay, I like this, let me let me develop on this and I know exactly who who's gonna rap over this, like already knew you it hear in my it. mind. Yeah, you could hear it. Like going back into the conversations about Sonics, like making this album made me really understand like where someone's voice sits. Mm -hmm. Like in the music and in the groove and like just as a bigger picture, like how it sounds and how it feels as well. So I just knew straight away, okay, I know who I'm gonna get on this and I know who I'm gonna get on this track. And so it was, yeah, it was a very interesting learning curve for me, being able to put that all together and 
actually surprising as well. It's like, oh, I'm doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet, good. And then yeah. I guess in, in the opposite sort of vein, like what, what song came together the most simplest for you? What kind of just fell out sort of almost ready-made or, or what did you hear in your head and have to get through your fingers? Uh, so that lullaby track with Theo Croker and Judy Jackson. So we recorded the instrumental. Now I got Theo to play some trumpet on top of that. And I was like, so I sent it to Judy Jackson and then she came down into the studio and put that down first take. Hmm. And literally everyone in the studio opposite her was like completely silent, just mesmerized by her phrasing and the way she was singing it. And Sick. Yeah, she literally did that one take and then then we had pizza. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was like, what cool, a chill cool, day. That's a wrap. Beautiful. <laughs> Amazing. I think we need to do another one. <laughs> oh my God, sick. That's so great. Um, so you have a show coming up at Earth, which yes, is. Um, is that your biggest show to date? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, it's a yeah. pretty chunky sized room. So yeah, yeah. that's super cool. It's gonna be a big um, party. And Ben Mark supporting. Um so mm. that'll be wicked. So is that your official album launch? Yeah, my official cool. album London launch, yeah. It'll be uh a big celebration of the album. I'll have loads of guests down. Nice. So that's yeah, really cool so to hear because obviously so many guests on the album, it's gonna be wicked to yeah, see. Yeah, exactly. How obviously that people are gonna life. people are gonna wanna hear the album and they're gonna get that. So sick. That sounds brilliant. Yeah, it's gonna be, yeah, it's gonna be a party. Yeah, it's gonna be something I cannot wait. Um, Ashley, thank you so much, and oh, congratulations once again. And um, yeah, can't wait for the live show, and it's been a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you very much. Supreme standards.